the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of His cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before Him, provided that you continue stead securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. It is He whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all the energy that He powerfully inspires within me. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So would you believe me if I told you that a wallpaper cleaner invented in the 1930s by a guy named Noah McVicker, a wallpaper cleaner ended up making children's lives more fun? Adults' lives more fun? It was invented for a grocery store chain called Kroger for the purpose of getting coal soot off of wallpaper. Remember when we used to heat our homes with coal? You go over to that place on White Street by the train track and pick your coal up. Y'all remember that? Some of y'all are young. Some of y'all had oil heat earlier than I did, apparently. <laughs> but we would put oil in the fireplace and we'd heat our house with that. Had oil backup, but primarily we were heating with coal and soot would get everywhere if you didn't have it burning, right? 
Well, somebody decided to do something about that, so they invented a wallpaper cleaner. Had in it flour, water, salt, borax, and mineral oil. Called Play-Doh. In 1956, it was demonstrated at an education convention as Play-Doh. It had existed for years before that, but they were having trouble making money off of it until somebody told the guy who invented it, you know, they're using this over at the elementary school instead of clay because it doesn't make a mess like clay does. And somebody said, hey, we should market that that way. So the next thing you know, Play-Doh's everywhere. 1956. There are some things that are absolutely true about Play-Doh. Number one, it will only dry out in carpet or in a little kid's hair. <laughs> right? Other than that, it doesn't dry out that fast. But if your kid rubs Play-Doh in the carpet, it's going to stick. Somebody said, oh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Here's the other thing that's true about it. You can buy all 28 colors or however many there are for your kids so they have all these colors to play with. In a year's time, you will only have brown Play-Doh. A year? <laughs> Won't take a year. Well, but that's how it works, right? We love to play with this stuff. I think it gets children in contact with the creative part of God's image in us because God creates all the time. And so creating things gets us involved somehow in the mysterious nature of God that's somehow deep within us since we were created in the image of God. And since Christ is remaking us in that image, I think being creative is a natural thing of being a restored human being. And Plato gets right to it. It gets us down right in the edge of it. Because you can play with that stuff and remember rolling it on your kitchen table trying to see how thin you could get that snake before it broke in half. Plato. 1960, everything changed. The Plato factory came out. Plato fun factory. Any of y'all have a fun factory? Oh yeah. Plato Fun Factory was a beautiful and wonderful thing because it had this in it. Remember that? Do you remember how awesome that thing was? You'd load your Play-Doh in it and you put that little stick in there that's got stars and plus symbols and all kinds of... You could make a hollow tube with it. Or you could make spaghetti with it and fake like you were making spaghetti and put it on a plate. Remember that? Try to get your mama to eat it. That was the Play-Doh extruder. I think that today Paul is telling us that's what happens to us when we come to faith in Christ. That we who are moldable clay in the hands of God are passed through the shape of the cross to emerge with a cruciform life. Cruciform, that's a complex word. It means a life that's formed in the cross. All too often today in Christian preaching, the cross is left behind as just something God did for us that has its place way back in history, but that's not true entirely. It is something that God did for us, but it's also something that God is doing to us. And so Paul says, there's a mystery at foot, Christians. There's something happened to us that can't be explained. We're being reshaped by the sufferings of Christ. 
exposed to the idea that God would become one of us and die for us, that God would suffer as one of us, that God would be humiliated to the nth degree to suffer the worst death ever known, not just to come and die from some disease that we get, but to come and die from utter and absolute humiliation. If we hold that at the forefront of our thoughts about God, it reshapes not only our understanding of God, but it reshapes our understanding of ourselves. We are in need of being remade, and the cross is how we are remade. That image that God created us with has been broken and squashed by sin, just like that little puppy or pug or whatever sheep, whatever they said it was that I made for the kids. But God as the potter showed Jeremiah, has the power to reshape us. And Paul wants us to know that that power is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is His death that reshapes us, that changes our hearts about God and our understanding of how God sees us. So much so that later on Paul would say that by this death, God demonstrates God's love for us. These days, there's a lot of Facebook Christianity out there about breakthroughs and blessings and all this. And somehow, if you get in touch with the right amount of faith, next thing you know, you'll be driving a brand new car. Remember that time Scott was driving a repossessed car around here that had blessed across the back windshield? That's exactly how bankrupt that theology is. Because when Jesus calls people to follow Him, He called us to take up a cross. Remember that? Take up your cross, he said, and follow me. Take up your, take up your execution device and follow me. Die to yourself and live in me. That's the invitation we have. And through our baptism, we come to our own cross and die to ourselves and are raised to new life in Christ. And Paul says this is the mystery that has been hidden amongst all things from the very beginning that through the death of the Son of God we have life. It is a paradox. And Paul would later say that it is foolishness to those who are perishing. That for those who are wise, they say, how can I live by the death of another human being? How can I live by the death of God? But for the simple, he says, for those who are willing to hear it is the power of God. Are we willing to hear? Are we willing to have God take us like some lump of clay and press us through an extruder that we call the cross so that we can come out on the other side reshaped and remade, reimagined for some other purpose other than serving ourselves and our own needs? That was Jesus' point in the parable last week. Remember the man laying in the ditch Remember the ones who passed by. Remember the one who saw Him with compassion. We're being remade into people who can see others with compassion because we know that there was one who saw us with compassion and died our death on the cross. And through that, we can be reshaped and remade like so much clay in the hands of an almighty God. Do you remember the story of how Adam was created? 
Do you remember what our fathers and mothers taught us? That God took him and formed him out of the dust of the earth and then breathed into him the breath of life? We are but clay in the hands of a mighty God who seeks to remake us and reshape us through the death of Christ into people who see others with compassion and people who will put others ahead of ourselves. He says, you were once estranged. Not just from each other, but from God. All of us who are here today were once estranged from God. We had no claim over God at all. At best, we were enemies of God. Seeking ourselves first, seeking to serve ourselves first, and doing whatever we wanted. Somebody told me one time, I don't believe children are born with original sin. I said, clearly you've never had one in your house. We were all born broken and in need of deliverance from our brokenness. We are all in need of the potter taking us and setting us on a cross-shaped wheel and spinning us into something beautiful and holy and something that's capable of suffering for others. For when we are estranged from God and when we are estranged from one another, suffering doesn't sound like something that is palatable for us. And many people today want to convince Christians that God is not calling us to suffer for others. But clearly Paul just did. To see others with compassion is the point of Jesus' other story. And compassion means to suffer with. The word passion comes from to suffer. The calm adds the with. That we suffer with others. When Jesus said which one had mercy on him, it was the one who saw the man in the ditch with compassion. The cross can reshape us so that we're no longer estranged from God, no longer happy with being estranged from each other, but we recognize that our purpose, our point, our reason for being is to eliminate the suffering of, of others by having compassion for them enough to take on their suffering ourselves. This is the mystery that Paul holds up before us. We are people of the cross. A community formed by the death of the Son of God. A community vindicated by His resurrection. Brought to new life and reshaped so that we are no longer estranged from God. That we are no longer hostile in our minds toward God. That we come to love the will of God for us and to seek it. That we come to serve others the way that God has brought Himself low to serve others. And that we would cease the doing of evil deeds. I loathe the thought that I might have some evil left in me. I loathe the thought that I might have something that creeps up in me and causes me to do things or think things that are not loyal to God. But the truth is, it's there. I still am in the process of being pushed through that extruder we call the Christ, just like that Plato's been running for 20 minutes out of that little hole. For the rest of my life, I need to be pushed through the cross that my faith transforms me as I'm pushed through the cross of Jesus to see it not only as something that was done for me, but something that's being done in me. Something that's being done to me. 
Because the hope of glory is not me standing on my own two feet. The hope of glory is Christ in me. Isn't that what he said? Let's check. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, the death of Christ on the cross, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. In our baptism, we are united to Christ's death and we all die. When we bring our children to the font, we bring them to die to themselves and be raised in Christ. When adults come to the font, they come to die to themselves and to be raised in Christ. And when we come to the waters of baptism, we come to be drowned and to be put under and to die to ourselves. We die the death that Christ has died for us. We join Him in it. And so, Paul says, we join in His resurrection. And we're changed. Passed through God's great mysterious extruder that reshapes us into the love of God in the world. Surely, if the death of Christ is meant to demonstrate God's love to the world, surely the body of Christ in the world, the church, is meant to demonstrate God's love to the world. But I admit to you that how this works is an absolute befuddling mystery. How it is that God works through something that happened so long ago to shape us and change us is a mystery that belongs to the Holy Spirit that comes on us at our baptism. I'd be better off to try to explain how I was created. But still I'm here. I can't explain how I'm being changed. But here I stand changed. It is a mystery. A cross-shaped mystery standing in the midst of the world a people who are formed by the death of a humiliated man in whom the Godhead was pleased to dwell. Listen to verse 19 and 20 again. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of His cross. All of us are being passed through the cross into peace. Embrace it. In so much of Christianity today, they're leaving the cross behind. Some people don't want to put it in the sanctuaries because they don't want to offend seekers. But what we're called to preach is the cross of Christ. Paul said, I'm called to preach Christ crucified. That is our purpose in the world. To lift up the cross, which is the great and holy sign of God's love, not just for us, but for the world. Embrace this mystery, dear ones. Embrace the mystery that through the death of the Son of God you are healed. Embrace it. It is the root of our faith. I'll leave you with one last thought. In the beginning, 
there was a garden. At the center of the garden was a tree of life. And before the fall, we had access to the tree of life. And the implication was that we could take from the tree and eat and live forever. But the serpent whispered into the heart of the first human beings. And they chose to eat something different. And sin came into the world and squashed us. But the promise of Scripture is that at the end, to those who persevere, to those who do what Paul said, stand steadfast in the faith, to those, Jesus says in Revelation, I will give the right to take and eat from the tree of life and live forever. I sometimes wonder if the tree of life isn't cross-shaped. If the tree that stands on both sides of the river of God isn't shaped just like that. This cross we hang on our wall to remind us that it is through the death of Jesus that we have life. Through this cross-shaped mystery. Cling to it, dear ones. It is the heart of God for us, the people of God. Amen.